Well, very early on in this whole thing called COVID, we learned a new term, social distancing. We were told early on that social distancing was needed to slow the spread of COVID and to remember that whole flatten the infection curve as we were stepping into all of this chaos in early 2020. There was not a lot of consensus at the time on the benefits or the downsides of social distancing, but we were just told that this is absolutely necessary to slow the spread and flatten the curve. Very soon after we started hearing those words, social distancing, we started to see these stickers. Remember all these stickers that were on the ground in most public spaces and in retail establishments telling us that we needed to maintain six feet of separation because social distancing and slow the spread. So it now, two years into this whole COVID chaos, those stickers, they're still around. Like I was just at a store today and I saw one of those stickers on the ground. So they're all over the place. They're starting to peel up and to fade and that sort of thing. But the stickers are starting to fade, but you still see people that are from time to time avoiding close contact. But what have we learned in all of this? We could go on and on about all the different things that maybe we've learned from the things that we've been going through over the last couple of years. But at the very least, I think looking at this from a Christian perspective as a pastor, looking at this with kind of the eyes of scripture and the, the spirit of God kind of directing us. I think that one of the things that I've seen from social distancing and this whole experiment is that it has proven or at least reminded me once again of the fact that we were created for connection. Because of social distancing and the push to slow the spread and to flatten the curve, society effectively shut down in March of 2020. Like most organizations where people gather together, our church and pretty much every church in our area shut down. We went into doing online services like we're doing right here, right now. And we started doing online meetings with people. We all learned about how to use Zoom or how to use Microsoft Teams or all the Google Meetup and all these different things. Our staff here at Cross Connection Church, we went to remote work and we were doing Zoom meetings like everybody else. And in a matter of days, if not weeks, we were isolated by social distancing. And in the early days of the COVID shutdowns in March and April of 2020, I actually discovered something about myself that I hadn't really realized to that point before. I realized that I wasn't as much of an introvert as I had assumed. Now, some of you who attend Cross Connection Church probably think, well, Miles, you're not an introvert. You get up in front of people, you talk in front of people. I can tell you right now, it's a lot different just kind of talking in front of people. But, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I don't mind kind of just being alone. Maybe you're like that as well. Most people would identify themselves as being more introverted than extroverted. Although, you know, sometimes on the little tests that come out, I, I show up as being a little bit more extrovert. But I thought I was more of an introvert. I assumed that I was one of those people who could spend most of my time kind of by myself, locked away in my office, working without a lot of interaction with others. But very quickly, when we started this whole social distancing experiment in March and April of 2020, when I was locked away in my, my home, I had moved my office, you know, most time I worked down here at the church in my office, but I'd moved to my office at home almost entirely for work. So I was in my home office kind of secluded. 
I found really quick that I was sick of social distancing, distancing and then I would find myself desiring connection with people. In fact, about every day by about two o'clock in the afternoon, I would find myself feeling like I needed to call or text or FaceTime with somebody or some group of people to have some kind of face-to-face -face human interaction. And as nice as those interactions at that time through technology were, they just did not meet that need that I have, that we have for genuine, authentic connection with another person. It isn't just that we want connection with people. We actually do need connection. We do not do well in isolation. We cannot thrive alone. Actually, isolation can, can lead to all kinds of mental and emotional and even physical dysfunctions and problems because, again, we were created for connection. The social distancing experiment has only confirmed, I think, what we already knew and what the Bible actually says in Genesis. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, it is not good that man be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. If you read the opening passages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you will see that those words in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, they are the first negative that is found in the scripture. In the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, as God is making the heavens, as he is forming the earth and everything that is within this cosmos, seven times we read in the opening chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, we read, and God saw that it was good. And then the, the seventh time of those seven times that God says that it was good, we find this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. It says, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning was the sixth day. I love that. It says, indeed it was very good. Everything that God had made was great. It was good. It was just as God had designed or intended it to be. And then we get to Genesis chapter two. And Genesis chapter two is basically like a restatement of the creation account from a slightly different perspective. So Genesis chapter one goes through the six days of creation. Genesis chapter two goes back and kind of fills in some of the details of all the things that are there. It's like Genesis one is like the quick, quick sketch. Genesis two is like coloring in all the lines there. And in Genesis chapter two, we read these words beginning at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he, God, took one of Adam's ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh.
the opening revelation of God here in Genesis chapter 2 is that it is not good for man to be alone. God made us as individuals to be joined together in relationship. Our understanding of the human psyche through the study of modern psychology has only proven what God's word revealed thousands of years ago. Modern psychology has confirmed what we not only desire, that we not only desire connection, but that we actually need connection. Abraham Maslow's now famous hierarchy of needs puts the need for love and belonging right in the middle of the five-layer pyramid, if you've ever seen the Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Right in the middle of that pyramid there is love and belonging. We have a need for love and belonging. Humans will not thrive and may actually not survive without love and belonging. You need connection, like you need food and like you need shelter. This has to do with our very nature. We were made to be joined together with one another in relationship. And the virtual connections that we are throwing hundreds of billions of dollars at here in Western culture today, those things will ultimately not, they won't ultimately meet the need that you and I have for connection, this deep kind of connection. At the end of this last year, Facebook Inc. became meta. I'm sure you probably saw this in the news. And the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, he announced that Facebook's aim or meta's now aim is to carry us into the metaverse. And now Facebook's not the only company that's focused on this whole thing of the metaverse, but what on earth is the metaverse? And maybe you couldn't even say that it's on earth necessarily because it's kind of this virtual thing. It is intended eventually to be another world, so to speak. It is a three-dimensional virtual world focused on social connection that you would meet with and connect with people wherever they are physically, you would meet them in a virtual world with kind of whether you're using virtual reality or whatever it may be, that you'd interact with people in this virtual world so that you could have social connection with people. In essence, in the metaverse, you can be physically distanced, so you're separated from one another, but you can be socially connected. So physically distanced, but socially connected. And those working on the metaverse, so companies like Meta or Facebook or Microsoft and Google and Amazon and others, those who are working on these metaverses, because there's different ones, they hypothesize that the metaverse is going to be the next great thing. The initial kind of things that are coming out, we just had this big, huge convention we have every single year for technology in Las Vegas called CES, the Consumer Electronics Show or whatever it is. And there, there's a whole bunch of companies kind of showing their idea of the metaverse. And at this moment, it looks kind of cheesy, almost like, you know, the early, you know, formats of the, the internet. When the internet first started to come online and maybe you had American online, you'd dial up and you hear that, that whole thing. And then it would go, welcome, you've got mail, that whole thing. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great, it wasn't perfect. There was a lot of issues and problems. And the metaverse right now, it looks kind of goofy and crazy and stupid. And, but who knows what that will look like in a few years. And their whole goal is to create this three-dimensional virtual world where you will socially connect with people and you can be sure that there will be meta church in no time. But it will be physically distanced social connection. So... The question is, will that physically distanced social connection meet the human need for relationship? I'm not convinced that it will. I think that we've seen some of this in the social distancing experiment of the last 24 months as we interacted with a lot of people for months and months and months through just Zoom and FaceTime calls and text messages. It doesn't meet that need for connection. Now, 
don't get me wrong. We at Cross Connection Church, we will use every tool that we can to reach people with the gospel. So you can bet that Cross Connection, Cross Connection Meta, if you will, will be a thing. Maybe you could even call what we do here when we broadcast our services on YouTube. It's kind of like version 1.0 of that whole thing. So it is amazing that each week we have hundreds of people that connect with us virtually through our online services and not just through our online services, but through the videos that, that I might put out on YouTube for the coffee time videos, stuff like that. So we have hundreds of people every single week that are connecting with what we're doing in those virtual areas. But our online services, they are not meant to be a replacement for genuine human connection because it is not good that man would be alone. We need connection. We don't just desire connection, we need connection. A few years ago, I read a study on human connection from researchers at the University of Chicago's Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience. And they wrote in their study at that time, humans were not designed to be solitary creatures. We evolved, they, they say, to survive in tribes. The need to interact is deeply ingrained in our genetic code, so much so that the absence of social connection triggers the same primal alarm bells as hunger, thirst, and physical pain. Obviously, I don't think that this is the result of random chance and mutation through millions of years of evolutionary process. I believe that God made us in this way. The need for connection with one another is hardwired into our firmware, if you will. God created us to live life in connection. Jesus said that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus came to make abundant life possible and available to you and to me. And that life involves connection. You cannot have the abundant life that God desires for you to have, intended for you to have, created you to have. You cannot experience the abundant life without connection. First, with God, that vertical direction, if you will, you have to be connected to God like we talked about in last time's message. So we cannot experience the abundant life until we have connection with God and then connection on the horizontal plane with one another. It is not good for man to be alone. We were created for connection. You and, and I, you cannot and will not experience abundant life without connection. If you've been a part of Cross Connection Church for any length of time, this is not new to you. In fact, you might even get tired of hearing us say here at the church, um, we are all about life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. But we say it over and over again because it is, I believe, very important. It is important because it is what all of us desperately need. And here's the thing that I continue to find amazing. The more I think about this vision, this mission that we have here at Cross Connection Church to experience and to express in our lives and to extend to others, to experience life in connection with God, one another in the world through Jesus. The more I think about that, the more fascinated I am by the reality that life in connection is attractive. The concept of authentic connection with God and with others. It draws people in because we want what we need. In fact, like just saying that, let me say that again. We want what we need. And that's not a revolutionary idea. You all know that that's true intuitively. We don't always need what we want. There are a ton of things that I want that I don't need, but I do believe that we want what we need. So you need food, so you want food. You need air to breathe, so you want to breathe. You need sleep, 
So at a certain point when you haven't had it or you haven't had good sleep, you, you want sleep. You want what you need. So the people that you and I interact with every single day, they want connection. They want it because they need connection. God created them for that. And so deep inside their heart is a desire for connection. They may not realize or understand that they want a connection with God, but they genuinely want to connect with the transcendent God. And they genuinely want to have authentic, deep connection with one another. And here's another thing that I find fascinating and interesting. Maybe you won't, but I do. The things that we want because we need them, if given the option, we will want the best of those things that we can find. What, what do I mean by that? Well, I need food to live. And if I can get it, then I really want a really good steak. You know, we, we need air to breathe. We want fresh, good air to breathe. It's like that's why people get out into nature so they can breathe fresh air. We want a good night's sleep on a very comfortable bed. So we want what we need and we want the best of whatever we can get for those things that we need. So what does any of that have to do with connection? Well, social media, what you can find on you know, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, go down the list of all the social media tools or products that are out there. Social media, Zoom, you know, Microsoft Teams, all these different things that are going to be coming to us in the metaverse in the coming years. Those things will provide a sense of connection, a sense of community, we sometimes say. It might even be kind of an adequate connection. It's like good-ish or sufficient sort of connection. If you had no other way to connect, then, you know, I guess Zoom is not too bad. But I don't think that those things provide authentic, abundant, life-giving connection. And even the connections you will make or have with people through school or work or sports or other forms of recreation, those things are good. They're good-ish. They may even be important, but there is a level of connection that I believe is only ultimately found in the abundant life, the abundant life-giving connection that is found in Christ with God and with one another. That's what we are aiming for here at Cross Connection Church. When we talk about our aim is that we would experience and express and extend to others life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. That's what we're aiming at. A genuine, authentic, abundant life-giving connection with God and with one another through Christ. That's what we want to experience. That's what we want to be able to show to others and lead them into. We want to experience the abundant life of connection with God and one another through Jesus. You see, back in Genesis 2, which we read just a moment ago, a few minutes ago, we saw that God's aim when he created humans was that they would be joined together as one. Now, this deep connection is most clearly expressed and most clearly experienced by us in the marriage relationship. That's what we see in that passage of scripture. But that kind of deep connection is not only experienced in marriage. It's not only a marital reality. You don't have to be married to have deep, authentic connection with somebody else. Now, be, before I explain exactly what I mean, it, it needs to be stated that the deep connection that our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, that we see there in Genesis chapter one and two, the first deep connection that they experienced, are, that they are said to have had in Genesis chapter two, it was lost in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered in. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, 
the very last verse, I didn't read this before, but the very last verse of Genesis chapter two, it says that they, Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, that as they're joined together, therefore, you know, let the two be joined together and no one separate those things. It says in verse 25 that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now that may seem kind of weird to you if you've never read that before, that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. The first time that someone reads it, they might go, what in the world is going on in this passage? But we have to look beyond the physical nakedness to understand what the Bible is saying when it says that both Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed in this passage. Fundamentally, what is being said here is not sensual, it's not sexual. Our first ancestors were in a oneness relationship with one another. They were totally vulnerable and they were not ashamed. And in reality, it is highly unlikely that you actually have in your marriage, if you're married today, even if you have a superbly great marriage, it is highly unlikely that you have this kind of oneness that is talked about here in this passage, that you are completely vulnerable and exposed to your spouse and you have zero shame. It's unlikely that you have that. You may want that. I, I would go so far as to say that you probably do want that, but even the idea of vulnerability, it sounds scary to us. And it's actually kind of interesting if you, you know, use a thesaurus on your phone and, and get the synonyms of the word vulnerable. I did this just the other day. The first synonyms that will show up when you look at the word um, vulnerable in a thesaurus are things like in danger and in peril, jeopardy, at risk, and unsafe. So vulnerability sounds totally scary. But what if you were vulnerable with someone and you had no fear. There was no risk in it. You were completely vulnerable with that person and there was no fear that they would take advantage of your vulnerability. There was no fear that they would use your vulnerability against you. What if you had such safety with that person that you would be absolutely unashamed and unembarrassed if they knew anything and everything about you, even the absolute worst possible things that they could know about you. When we read about Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter two, before they had the knowledge of good and evil, they had total vulnerability with no shame. And I wanna to suggest to you that that's exactly what you and I desire, what Adam and Eve, the first humans had. They experienced a total vulnerability, a nakedness, body, soul, and spirit without any sort of shame before Genesis chapter three. And that they had that, that's why there is something in us that desires that as well. But we don't have it, and we don't have it because of sin. As soon as sin entered in, in Genesis chapter 3, then we find that Adam and Eve, they, they lost that. In fact, look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning there at verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded in Genesis chapter 2, which I read a little while ago, that they not eat, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it and she gave it to her husband and he ate also. And verse seven, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. When sin entered in, the eyes of Adam and Eve, they were, they were opened and they saw their nakedness, their, their vulnerability, they, they felt vulnerable and they were ashamed. And we know that they're ashamed because what did they do with their nakedness, their vulnerability? They covered it up. They were ashamed by what they saw because they now had the knowledge of good and evil. They had their, their understanding of their own failures, their own shortcomings, their own wickedness that could be there and would be there. 
and now they were vulnerable and they were ashamed. So they had total vulnerability without shame and they lost it. And now you and I do not have what they had prior to the fall. We have the brokenness of sin in our lives. And so it's hard for us to be vulnerable, even with the people, the person that is closest to us. So as good as your marriage is, or maybe you don't have the oneness that Adam and Eve did before Genesis chapter three, neither do I. And they didn't have it because sin destroys the oneness that God intends. It did at the very beginning in Genesis chapter three and it still does today. I mean, it breaks apart the oneness relationship that you might have with someone today. When sin comes into that relationship, it breaks apart that connection and it's gone. So if you want to have oneness, what do we need to deal with? What is the, the one thing we have to deal with if we want to restore that oneness? Well, if it was sin that destroyed the oneness, then the one thing we need to deal with is sin. And sin is only dealt with in and through by Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel tells us. Jesus comes and deals with sin. And, and where did Jesus deal with sin? On the cross. That is the most basic story of the gospel. When Paul the apostle is kind of boiling the gospel down to its essentials, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declared the gospel to you, and this was the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, says 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. So the most basic aspect of the gospel is that Jesus deals with sin on the cross. And the night before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he is with his disciples, they partake of the, the Lord's Supper together. And then after that, we see this prayer, the prayer of Jesus recorded in John chapter 17. It's often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And what does Jesus pray to the Father for us? What is his prayer as he's getting ready to go to the cross to deal with sin? John chapter 17, verse 11, we read this. Jesus is praying. Now I am no longer in the world, but these, my followers, my disciples are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name, those whom you have given to me, here's the key, that they may be one as we are one. Skip on down to verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, my disciples that are right with me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's us. He's praying 2,000 years ago for me and for you. And what does he pray? That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I and you, that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The scriptures are so very clear when we are reading the New Testament account, the gospel account. Jesus destroyed sin on the cross to restore Oneness, the oneness that was lost in Genesis chapter three when sin entered in because of rebellion, because of the fall there in that passage. Before Genesis chapter three, they were both vulnerable and not ashamed, naked and not ashamed. And then sin comes in and they are vulnerable. They realize their nakedness, they try to cover it up. And we have covered up our vulnerability ever since. And even in the closest relationship that we can experience in this world within marriage, we still don't have the depths of oneness that God designed us to have, intended for us to have. But Jesus, when he prays on the night before he deals with sin on the cross, he says, my prayer is this, that they would experience oneness, not just in marriage, but that we would experience oneness with God and with one another. Jesus in us and us in Christ and having relationship with one another within the body of Christ. 
Notice that Jesus says twice in that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says that the world may believe and that the world may know. I pray that my disciples, my followers who have trusted in me, Jesus says, he says, I pray that they will have oneness and as a result of this oneness, the world will know and the world will believe. So what is being said here is that this oneness that Jesus restores, it's a proof of who Jesus is and where he came from. Paul, he speaks on this very similar issue of Christ restoring oneness with God and with one another in Ephesians chapter 2, a passage that I refer to often. We read this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, for he himself, the he here is Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made both one and he's broken down the middle wall of separation or partition having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. So the two becoming one, united together, create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God, connection with God and one another in this passage, in one body through the cross. How does he bring this about? He deals with sin on the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he, Jesus, came and he preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built up together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What do we see in this passage? We see that Christ restores us to oneness by reconciling us to God and to one another through the cross. So if you look at the vision section of our website, if you go to lifeinconnection.com, you go to the about link up at the top and go down on the menu that comes down, go to vision. The vision will pop up. It's gonna be right here on the screen and you'll notice it says life in connection with God, one another and the world through Jesus. But notice that the words life and through Jesus, they're in orange, everything else is in gray. That is on purpose, that's purposeful. Life, and when I talk about life, I'm talking about that really abundant life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. Life, abundant life, is through Jesus. Life through Jesus. But what is it that abundant life, what is it that makes it abundant? What is it that that abundant life is that Jesus gives to us? It is the restoration of life in connection with God and life in connection with one another. And it is a oneness relationship with God, a oneness relationship with one another. The very thing that we deeply desire. Ultimately, that connection is what we all deeply desire and need. And in the future, when we come into his kingdom, we have life in connection with God and with one another in fullness, but we also have a, a connection, a restored connection with God's creation, with the world. Life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. But right now, it is life in connection with God and one another. And we, it is our aim here at Cross Connection Church to take that good news to the world on mission, in outreach, bringing it to other people, which we'll talk about next week. We're gonna talk about life in connection with the world. But we experience life in connection with God and one another in Christ Jesus, where? Within his body, the church. So I've said it like this for a long time. We find authentic connection with God and one another within his church. We find authentic connection with God and one another 
within his church. But the important pragmatic question when I say that is, what does that look like practically? What's it look like to live life in connection with one another? How, how does that lived out in a very practical, pragmatic way? How do we experience life in connection with one another through Jesus so that we can have this abundant life? So as we close our message today, I want to talk about kind of the, the practicalities of life in connection with one another within the body of Christ. How's that happen? Where does it come about? First, you must trust in Christ for salvation. It is through Jesus Christ and through his completed work on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through that passage we just read a moment ago. Through what Jesus did on the cross, his completed work on the cross, it's through that that we are reconciled to God and one another. The sin that brought disconnection and dis division between God and between humanity, that is restored through Jesus and what he did on the cross. So if you want to experience life and connection with God and one another, it's, it's only found through what Jesus did on the cross, trusting in his finished, completed work. Second, though, if you are going to enter into and experience connection with one another, you must become an engaged participant within Christ's body, which is the church. A few weeks ago, just before Christmas, someone uh, brought an important question to me after one of the services as we were leading up to Christ Christmas. And this individual brought this question to me. They, they had received this question from someone else. And the question was a good question. The person said, why doesn't this church, Cross Connection Church, have a Christmas Day service? Now, side note, <laughs> Christmas is going to be on Sunday this year in 2022, so we will have a Christmas Day service. But traditionally speaking, our church doesn't have a Christmas Day service. So this person had asked one of the people who serves here at the church, hey, why doesn't this church have a Christmas Day service? And the person who was asking the question, they said, because don't you realize that there are a lot of people who don't have family that they get together with on Christmas and they're lonely on Christmas. And this might be a great opportunity if the church would have a Christmas Day service for those people to come to minister to those people. And I don't, I don't totally disagree with what that person was saying, but I do have an answer. My answer is this, become an engaged participant within Christ's body, within the church, and get plugged into the community of the church the body of Christ, and then you will discover a deep and authentic connection to a new family, which in so many ways becomes stronger than the ties that you have or had with your human family. So if you want to experience that abundant life, you have to become an engaged participant within the church. But, but what is an engaged participant within Christ's body, within the church? Well, it is a person that is engaged in regular corporate worship. And as good as this is, as being able to broadcast these messages and even some worship online to a larger group of people through YouTube, the corporate worship when we gather together, and I still understand there's still a lot of people who are concerned and fearful about gathering together with others, but hopefully coronavirus is going to burn itself out. I mean, there's been some virologists and so forth who've been saying that since 2020, that that would ultimately happen and maybe it's my prayer. By God's grace, maybe that's what's happening with this latest Omicron variant. That's our hope. Hopefully, when that begins to happen, you'll gather with us here on a Sunday morning. Or if you've never even come to this church, maybe you'll come and check it out on a Sunday morning. Because you become an engaged participant within the body of Christ and you experience life in connection with God and one another when you gather together with the body of Christ in corporate worship. And when we gather together here at Cross Connection Church, we worship in the word. When we study the scriptures together, that's worship. 
God is revealing himself, his nature. He's revealing his character to us through the pages of scripture and he inspires our hearts to praise and adore and worship him. So we worship through God's word, but we also worship through singing together. Now I understand corporate singing, it may be in our culture today, in the 21st century Western culture, probably the only place where you see corporate singing is in a church setting. Maybe sometimes you'll engage with it a little bit when you go to a concert, but for the most part, the only place that you engage in corporate singing together is within a church. And you may, you may even think like, well, that's just weird and stupid and why do people do that? And maybe the church shouldn't do that anymore. And you know, it can spread coronavirus so quickly or what all these crazy sort of things. The church has sung together corporately since the very beginning. In fact, Paul in a number of his letters says that the church needs to make a melody in their hearts to the Lord together, singing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs unto the Lord. So it's actually exhorted in the scriptures that Christians sing together, even if they don't have a great voice. That's why I think the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Why do we engage in corporate singing, worshiping God together? Well, recently I, I read a really fascinating research article about how corporate singing, this was not from a Christian group at all. In fact, the, the research study I was reading from was from Cal Berkeley. So not exactly your you know, high seminary kind of um, university out there. So from Cal Berkeley, I read this research about how corporate singing joins people together. It binds people together where they, they even experience, the, the research says that they experience a synchronization of their body and their mind. Now, what exactly does it mean that you have a synchronization of your body and your mind? Well, in a sense, when you are harmonizing together in song, you are harmonizing not just the, the sounds that you are making, you're harmonizing in some way at the mind-body level in a deep sort of way. So it's funny to me how scientific research validates what the Bible has prescribed for thousands of years. For thousands of years, you go back to the Psalms, the psalmist is saying 3,000 years ago that we're to sing to the Lord a new song. We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the people of the earth. So. We're called to do that in the scriptures. And now scientific research in you know, the 21st century validates what the Bible has prescribed for years. So we worship God through his word. We worship God through corporate singing together. We worship God through giving sacrificially. That's a way that we worship the Lord together. We're united together in one as we are giving of ourselves in our tithes and our offerings. So that's a form of worship. All of those things help us to connect with God and one another better. So we live life in connection with one another when we engage as participants in the family of God within the church. And primarily, that happens when we gather together on Sunday mornings, but that's not the only place. If you are going to connect with one another at a deep level and you're going to participate, engaged in the family of God, the church of God, then you do that as you connect with one another in community. So we connect in corporate worship, but we connect in community as well. And the primary way that we do that here at Cross Connection Church is with our connect groups. And Pastor Garrett made an announcement about connect groups this morning. You can go to the website down below. You can read about our connect groups here at the church if you've never been a part of one. So this is a, a key way where we connect with one another, connect groups. Not the only way. You know, we have people who connect with one another in prayer groups. We have people who connect with one another as serving on teams here at the church or in community outreach. So there's a lot of different ways that we connect with community, but it is in those groups, connect groups, prayer groups, service groups, outreach teams, mission teams, all this sort of stuff. It is where we express what we often call the one another's of the Bible. If you did a study on the word one another in the Bible, go to blueletterbible.com and put in quotes in the search bar there, one another, you're gonna find 
dozens of one another passages. There's more than 50 of them in the scriptures where the scriptures tell us that we are to love one another, that we are to pray for one another, to care for one another, to comfort one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be devoted to one another, to honor one another. There are over 50 of these passages in the scripture that we often refer to as the one another's of the Bible. And when you participate in community within the church, you are endeavoring to fulfill the one another's of scripture. And you are participating in the body of the church. So if you want to experience life in connection with one another and begin to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give you, first you need to receive the salvation that Jesus gives because that makes it possible for us to be restored into connection, reconciled to God and one another. But then you need to engage as an active participant within the church, the body of Christ, and participate in community and corporate worship and participate as a servant and mission and outreach and all these different things. If you begin to do these things, commit yourself to this, then you will begin to experience authentic connection in Christ with God and with one another. And I promise you that you will not feel isolated or disconnected. You know, it's interesting at the, the height of all the COVID chaos in 2020, we were still not meeting here at the church. It was in the, you know, mid-May, early June of 2020. We were still only doing services online, but we encouraged our church, uh, especially those who are a part of our connect groups, to have Sunday morning watch parties together within their homes of our online service. So we were putting our online service on YouTube and we said to our connect groups, hey, why don't you invite your connect groups over to your house if you, you feel like you can do that safely, if you feel like you're okay with that, even with all the COVID restrictions, invite people over to your house and the service would go live at nine o'clock on Sunday morning and you would watch it together in your home and then have a meal together. And my wife and I, we host a connect group at our house. So we invited our connect group over on a Sunday morning and we said, just bring something to share for breakfast after we watch the service together. And we would sit down in my living room in front of the big screen TV and we'd watch the service. It felt a little weird for me to sit there and watch my, myself teaching on the screen, but I did. And we would gather together and within a few weeks that became one of the sweetest times of fellowship and all the crazy things that were going on with COVID at that time, even to the point that I, I found myself feeling like, and this won't come across right. I, I love when we gather together here on Sunday mornings. I absolutely love gathering together with the church, the people of God. It is one of my highlights in life. But I found that when we were doing that small group at my house on Sunday morning, watching the service together in the midst of all the craziness of COVID in the middle of 2020, that there was something about that that I almost enjoyed more than gathering together here. There was a sweetness to the fellowship. There was a sweetness to the connection. And that is my hope that we can see you and, and our church as a whole be able to experience that life and connection with one another that is the source of really beginning to experience in this life, the abundant life. You cannot have the abundant life that Jesus gives without receiving his salvation and being joined into the body of Christ, the church. And I have found that those who did the best through all the COVID things of the last 24 months, those who seem to be the most spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy and physically healthy and mentally healthy through all of it, were those who were connected to community within the church, that were living life in connection with one another. Through corporate worship, through connecting with community, through all these different things, they experienced it to a greater extent than others. And it's a wonderful thing. And it is my hope 
that as we move into 2022 and beyond, that we would more fully embrace life in connection with one another to share it with others as well. Because that is what the people that you and I interact with on a daily basis who are not a part of a church, that's what they deeply want. They deeply want connection. They need it. They want it because they need it. It is a part of how God made them. And so it's an awesomely evangelistic thing when the people of God live as the people of God in community with one another because other people see it and they say, I want that kind of relationship. And so Father God, I pray that you would do a work in each of us, bringing us to a place where we desire to be connected to one another and even becoming a little bit vulnerable and setting aside our fears and our anxieties and our embarrassments and plugging into connection with community within corporate worship and with small groups. Lord, would you help us this year to even further increase and grow our connect groups, that we'd have more groups that people could join, that we'd have more people joining those groups. And Lord, that we would be living life in connection with you and one another in authentic Christ-centered community and relationship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.